0: This whole series about, being, about the epic nature of the Old Testament has just been fun. I, I, I really have enjoyed even delving into very familiar things. Having had the privilege of being a part of the children's ministry for many years, we get to run through these stories of Daniel, of David, of, um, of Abraham, and of Moses, and all of that. We get to do that and have fun with it. And one of my favorite things, and some of, the, some of you uh, are actually old enough to have been in those groups. Right, Miranda? I think Miranda's the only one. Maybe Caleb. He's he's running away right now. Um, where we get to we get to get the kids and, and act it out and have fun, and it's really kind of fun to get them into the story. And that's one of the really fun things about this whole series is that we've been able to get into the story and really experience some of these things. So I'm gonna re, I'm gonna be visiting uh, the story of the of the wilderness and how did they get there? And there's uh, there's some really um, Fascinating things. Specifically, we'll be looking at how they how the Israelites came to the journey to journey through the wilderness. And as you might have guessed, emphasizing will in the title, we're really going to talk about uh, what is pretty common conflict of will, particularly our will and God's will. So let's set the stage first for how do we get here? How do we get to this moment where the Israelites are on track and then suddenly they're off track and in the wilderness? So let let me go through this. So uh, the let me de- let's demonstrate their deliverance. We remember the story, right? They were they were a small band of people, and then they were were preserved by going into Egypt. And in Egypt is where they got they got sheltered. In fact, remember the whole story of Joseph. What what you intended for for ill, God and, God used for good, right? Joseph goes there, draws his family into Egypt. They get protected. They get delivered there then they get their own land and eventually they start multiplying and then the new pharaoh arises who knew not joseph and all these things begin to happen and they begin to be oppressed for 400 years they get oppressed then god sends sends big mo right moses he sends he sends mo he sends moses now i'm gonna mess my i just messed myself up i'm gonna be going back and forth the whole time so because it's just more fun to call him mo like what Big Mo, that's right, because he's an he's a interesting guy all on his own, in his own right. But they send Moses the deliver. They cry out, Lord, how can we? We're so depressed. We're so oppressed. It's really bad. And they cry out, and he sends someone to them. And what's the first thing they do? They reject him, right? But then the next they bring him back. Okay, he delivers. And then we have this whole cool thing. And I cannot, I cannot see Moses in any other facial form than Charlton Heston. I'm just certain that's what he looks like. I am certain that's what he looks like, right? So, we, you know, you just picture the whole thing and Yul Brynner is the pharaoh. And I just can't, this is classic stuff. You know, the staff goes down, stuff, snakes arise. Next thing we know, there are plagues happening. All kinds of stuff are going on and, and Moses is on his way to deliver Israel And then the great exodus begins. After 10 plagues, finally, finally, Pharaoh relents and said, go. Even then he changes his mind and he starts to chase after them. And we have this cool scenario where they go through the Red Sea, Red Sea parts, and then uh, they go through, and then the, the Egyptian army, commanded by Pharaoh to do so, is following after them, take them out, Red Sea closes, wipes out the army, we're moving on. That happens every day for, you know, the Israelites, Right. That's a very common experience. Everyone has seen the ocean, you know, a sea part. Some, you know, There's this story about uh, some professor was trying to explain, well, you know, at, the, at that particular time of year, the Red Sea had kind of like, the, you know, it was at a certain low period where it was really only a few inches of water and then the whole... is That's not really miraculous. And this student says, oh, yes, it is. Can you realize he drowned an Egyptian army in two inches of water? So... <laughs> You get the miracle one way or the other. So all that stuff happens. And there's a, there's a phrase that actually identifies how big a group is this. And, it, and in the scriptures, and this is in the, in the numbers, it talks, about, it talks about there being 600. And then the translation says thousands. Now, there is some, there is some di- dispute about this. Because the word, it actually says 600 eleph. And the translation, the traditional translation is thousands or men on foot, so it typically reads 600,000 men who were part of the army, and then if you add in the, the women and the children to that, you get around a population of 2 to 3 million, maybe more, maybe slightly less, but you get this massive group of people, and there is, there is a way to figure out that it literally could have been that many, and then others say, no, 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 the, the word elph has a very complex semantic history, and there are scholars who believe that the people of Israel might have been as few as 30 or 40,000 Again, it doesn't matter in one sense because it just changes the equation for the miracles, right? If it's a whole lot of people and a whole logistical challenge, that's fine. Um, whatever the, whatever, the, whatever the, the reality is, it, the lack of clarity does not make the Bible wrong. What is that question is our understanding how the, how the ancient Hebrew was used. The size of the nation does not change. God's engagement and only changes the nature of the logistics and the power of his miracles. <laughs> So the people of Israel are traveling and they get to Mount Sinai and then Moses, big Mo, receives the commandments, right? You remember, he comes down from the the mountains and he's got the two commandments. Cool, again, I'm telling you, it happened just like it did in the movie, I'm certain. Um, So he receives the law there are preparations for the tabernacle. You get all of this language where, of, of how it needs to be. What does it need to represent? The power you start to begin to see. God is, is, is not only with his people, but wants to inhabit something in particular. And so you get a foreshadowing of what's coming. Oh, and then we get, we get the, the, this, this moment, which actually of which there are many moments, but this one particular moment, Moses, big Moses up on the mountain, lightning flashing, and he's up there too long, just too long. So the people decide, oh, yeah, we're not not okay with that. We start to build a a golden calf, and uh, we're going to worship this calf. Big Mo comes down. It goes really bad from there for the people of Israel. Some folks run to his side. They they end up being, there are the Levites. They're the people of Levi, who end up being the Levites of the Levitical priesthood. And they basically have this battle. They get chastised. And fortunately, Moses intercedes. God uh, basically says, hey, okay, let's get this straight. And the journey, fortunately, the journey continues. But you can see there's already some things that are happening that the people's natural sense of rebellion uh, arises here and there. And at the end of Exodus, the tabernacle is erected, and then it's filled with his power, right? It's filled with his power. We see some really cool things like, like they're guided with a, it said, the Bible says, with a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. Yeah, that's common. That happens to me all the time. I'm grateful for, like, GPS, right? I am guided by, um, by Google Maps, you know. But God is guiding by a pillar of fire. Now, that's, that's pretty impressive, you know. And these are things that the people of God are seeing all the time, uh, each and every day. And then we get to Leviticus, And you have laws and sacrifices and you have the priesthood of Aaron and and then you have the feast and jubilee. And I think though, if you've ever actually tried to to read the Bible in book order, starting with Genesis, it's possible that you don't really know the things that actually happen in Leviticus because the book has so many technical laws for the people, so many day-to-day instructions for the priests that the book actually serves as a powerful cure for insomnia. And if you... Try it. Trouble sleeping at night? Leviticus 7 through 12. Easy. Okay? And if, you, if you've been on that journey, got through, managed to get through Genesis, survived Exodus, Leviticus is just going to do you in. <laughs> it's a certainty. But if you survive Leviticus, or, or just skip it, read the short notes, you get back to the big narrative of the people of Israel post-captivity. And you do get into Numbers in the, the dedication of the tabernacle. And passages booked to the promised land. This is, this is the thing. They are on their way. They're, this is the whole point. They have been delivered out not to go nowhere. Remember, by the way, Abraham was delivered out and he said, hey, I'm going to the city. I don't know where it is. But the people of Israel had a very different understanding. They knew the promised land. They knew that where they were going to go to the promised land. They had understood that very, very well. <clears throat> and they get right to the doorstep and then they stopped they stopped progress to test God and they they request scouting ahead the encounter of the Israelites contemplating entering the promised land is not written Specifically chronological in a single narrative, but the specifics can be kind of pieced together from the numbers passage and thirteen and fourteen and even fifteen, and then several deuteronomy references I noted in your outline uh, chapters one and two, but there 's actually several others um, and again, remember the path remember the path that they 've traveled and it 's in, it's in Deuteronomy one that they actually said that, they, that the people asked for this they asked. They asked Moses, and Moses thought, by the way, it was a good, good deal. And at the end, you realize Moses gets, gets caught in that same thing. So the, it wasn't God's idea that they stop and they send out spies. It was the people requesting it. Moses agreed, and God says, fine, fine. But remember, the path that they've been traveling in the year, this, all of this happened in, in about a year, year and a half. All the things that they had seen, particularly that God was powerful and capable deliverer. They had spoken of the promised land for generations centuries even. The original promise to Abraham before he left Ur, left Ur when he was still known as Abram, it had been spoken to him at that time. It was reaffirmed several times by God himself and would have been part of the cultural training of each and every family as they sat by the fireside, as they, as they broke bread together, and as they trained their young ones, they would have been conveying the power of this promise uh, to someone that it will happen someday. We will eventually achieve it. It would have passed from father to son. It would have been the mother reminding her daughter. It would have been a common hope of having, of having this reality achieved for their very own. Something that has been, seems so elusive for so many years, you know, like, like the Cleveland Browns winning a season. <laughs> I mean, imagine the Browns having the team get right to the doorstep. Wait, didn't that happen like in 1994? I just lost all the Browns fans. They're just all mad at me right now. Wait, what? Who was the coach at that time? Are you sure? I think it was some guy named Belichick. Yeah, yeah, clearly he wasn't going to go anywhere, so they let, they let him go. <laughs> All right, back to the Israelites. Because it's, it's easier to believe the Israelites can get to the promised land than the... Oh, I'm sorry, no, no. <laughs> but the Israelites stopped. They stopped and said, whoa, whoa, whoa. We should really check this out because we've heard some stuff. We've heard some stuff. Now, remember, again, what they had just been through, they stopped and they said, hold on, let's do this. So, we get the word of the Lord, Numbers 13, or we get the narrative. Let's pick up the narrative in Numbers 13 and verse 17. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and into the hill country. See what the land is like. And whether the people who live there are strong or weak, are few or many, what kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? Now, think about this, these questions. Think about these questions in relative to what God is asking them to do. What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? What does it matter? The God who can do the pillar by night and the cloud by day? I mean, seriously? Seriously? Are these things really that important? But Moses is all in with the with the this whole idea of the spies. How is the soil? The soil is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your I mean, think about this. Any of these were to be no, if it's a good checklist, no, no, no. Then what? What's the point of that? It's almost to say, God, really? Did you forget something? Because these things are kind of important. It's kind of like how we do things today, right? Okay, this is free. This is not even in my notes, which makes it particularly scary at the moment. But since this is my last time preaching here, it's okay. Um, I, I don't think Pastor Brian's a Browns fan, so I'm, it won't be on that, in that account. But the, the list, we do this too. What kind of church is this? Do you have these things? Do you have this? Do you have that? And you know what? Part of that is okay, but at some point, that's not okay. It's not, it's not, it's not checking off the things on your list. It's going where God has sent you. And that's what the people of Israel were, were questioning. How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. Verse 21. So off they go on their 40-day trek. The, the 12 spies are chosen from the 12 uh, different tribes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob toward Labo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron, where or Hebron. What do you, how is do, it said here? Hebron. Hebron. Okay, it took me three years to figure out how to say nurk, but so Hebron, okay, we'll just go with that. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron, where Ahimon, Sheshai, and Talmai, the ascendants of Anak, live. Now, by the way, the descendants of Anak are giants, Or, or Anak was a giant, like Goliath was a giant. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they reached the Valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. It took two of them to carry it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. And that place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes that the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. And they bring back a report. And in my mind, this could, this, today this would look like a PowerPoint presentation. right? It would start with, The giant cluster of grapes and the big land. And we'll start with all that. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. This is verse 26 and on. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But how many times do we do that? You know, it all looks really good, but God may not really clearly understand what's going on. Do you know how ridiculous that sounds? I mean, but we do do this ourselves all the time. But the people who live there are powerful. Right, like Pharaoh wasn't powerful, like Egypt wasn't powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there, because they're pretty obvious. They are on the giant side. I don't know, I, I have the privilege of traveling... Uh, all over the world, and the tallest people in the world are the Dutch. I mean, they're like, you know, their babies seem like they come out, and they're already four feet tall, right? So they, but they are just, I mean, as a people, they're very tall, and it's kind of fascinating. So they, so if you imagine, if you, and then there's, I I, I don't know which culture would be particularly short culture, but if you imagine that suddenly the Dutch are in the midst of shorter people, then they're obvious who they are. So you could see the spies looking I'm doing this as if they had binoculars, Okay, they're looking. I don't know. <laughs> they're looking, and they they can see that they, that these these are giant people. They get it. There's a, there's an obvious understanding, even as they're they're spying it out. And then they gave Moses. So they re, so there they reported. They give here's fruit. Sorry, but. The people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amar- Oh, so many, so many bad people that we'd have to deal with live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. Thank God for Caleb. Joshua's right there with him. But the men who had gone up with them said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. These are the same people that didn't fight the the nation of Egypt, but they were delivered from it and God fought on their behalf. They're, They're moving away from understanding what God is saying to them and understanding how God can work and is able to work in their lives. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. This was the conventional wisdom brought by the ten spies. Brought to you by the ten spies. Okay. By the way, the term conventional wisdom is something that came up in the last, I think it's 30 to 30, 40 years ago. And it was not intended to be a good thing. It was intended to say, you know what? A bunch of people think this as if it's true, but it's not really. So it's curious to see that term um, have different, different meanings in different places. And in this case, the 10 spies represented a conventional wisdom, a very earthly wisdom, a very ungodly wisdom in this case. They saw the obstacles greater than God. There are giants. So? In this case, they were staring at the problem and barely, if at all, glancing at God. All they could see were the problems. They even belittled themselves. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. In this case, they're denying God's handiwork. They're denying that God has chosen them. They're denying their own own standing before God when they do this. And they're also denying his power as a deliverer. And to compound that, they spread the fear to the people, making the people fearful. By the way, in our day, there are a ton of people who leverage fear to manipulate. Don't be manipulated. Identify it for what it is. Recognize it. Be a Berean. Search things out. Know things for yourself. Don't let that the the fear. Uh, grip you like it does many in our land because our God is still greater. There is a, something greater here than this country or the, or the laws or the government or what the media will say or what is on Facebook or what you found on the internet. All of that, we have to be very careful to, re- to remember that God is what is most important and never lose sight of that because God is not a God of fear. If you find yourself, if you find yourself fearful, the first thing you need to be analyze is why. Why am I fearful, and what am I fearful about? And be careful that you, there are things you can be fearful about, about you know how your what your family's doing, where things are going on. You want to be, but not be driven or or take an an unre, unreasonable fear, particularly if something that we have no control over, because we have to know God is in control, that everything is in His hand, right? there's this really cool song from like a hundred years ago it says he's got the alright come on all together he's got the <laughs> there you go we could get going maybe that's a second service thing okay never mind so he, the, the 10 spies spread the fear. Now, what did the good report bring? The two spies, Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb focused on the promise of the land, not the problems of the land, right? They focused on the promise of the land, not the problems of the land, and on more on the promise that God was going to take care of things, because they their memory apparently wasn't destroyed in the, some, somewhere along the way. They remembered what just happened. They remembered the deliverance. They remembered all those things that just had happened in a matter of months. They remembered that. They saw the work of God as greater than the obstacles. They didn't stare at the problem and glance at God. They stared at God and that put the problems in perspective. Right? Right? That's what Joshua and Caleb did. And they had a can-do spirit. I love Caleb, jumps in there. We should go for it. We can do this. Henry Ford says this, said this quote, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Right? Part of, you know, half the battle is what attitude do we bring to the moment? And particularly, always remember this. Always remember this me and god are a majority every time as long as it's really god and we're really with him you know right he's we're doing things according to his will so did they listen to the two spies no did they did they were they overwhelmed by the by the word of the 10 spies yes the scripture says of the people, their heart melted. They complained. Despite all their history looking forward to God's promise, they suddenly were willing to settle. Hey, the land we just came from is not so bad. How about let's settle there? Let's stay in Egypt. That wasn't so bad. Right. That, that wasn't bad at all. Josh, Joshua and Caleb jumped up and made one last appeal, and it says they tore their clothes as a sign. Now that... I don't quite know what that looked like and I'm, maybe I don't even want to know, but, um, but the sense of your clothing was, your, was a wealth status and to tear it was to ruin your own wealth and it was a symbol of, uh, it was a violent expression and usually it was done out of mourning or, or deep anguish and, and this, this that applies. So they tore their clothes and it was to make this point and the people would not hear it. They did not receive, but it did show uh, more of Joshua and Caleb's uh, faithfulness, but the people rejected God. And this is the very core of the story. Relative to the Israelites as a whole is that they rejected God's leadership and his will for them. And rejecting God's will is serious, serious business. Now, praise the Lord. Big Mo is on the, on the, on the, on the stage and he intercedes asking God to forgive them for their attitude of the moment. And God listens And he replies, here's what he says. This is Numbers 14, 20. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me 10 times, not one of them will ever see the land I promise on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went into and his descendants will will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and the Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow and set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. Take that, catch that. He says, that's fine. I've forgiven you, but there are consequences. And then he says, by the way, since we've come to this part and you didn't want to go further, turn back, go this way, go this other way. Then verse 26, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you everything I heard you say in this wilderness. Your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb son of Jephunah and Joshua son of Nun as for your children that you said you would be ta- that would, you were so concerned would be taken as plunder i will bring them into the joy into to enjoy the land you have rejected but as for you your bodies will fall in this wilderness your children will be shepherds here for 40 years suffering for your faithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness for 40 years one one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you i the lord have spoken and i will surely do these things to this whole wicked community which is banded together against me they will meet their end in this wilderness here they will die okay yeah thank you ouch so the interesting thing is we stand here we're looking into the old testament t- season and the cross with the cross and that's an important distinction but the principles are still the same so God started by the way God started with the 10 spies they were immediately struck with a plague and died what did the people do said oh oh I'm sorry God we get it now we understand (laughs) after they just watched the 10 the 10 spies drop dead immediately Oh okay, so they picked up their armor and their swords and they went where did they go? Did they go the route he had told them to? No, they decided, okay, now we'll go into the into the promised land and fight the battle. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And they, now they were now they were they were rebelling again. Forgiveness, which God shows and God indicates here, Forgiveness does not erase consequences. John Piper uh, says this. He says, it's important to distinguish consequences of forgiven sin from consequences of unforgiven sin. The latter are properly called penalties. The former we should properly, probably call disciplinary consequences. That is, they're related to the sin, and they reflect the displeasure of God for the sin, but their aim is not retributive justice. So they're not part of the condemnation. Now, confessed criminals have the same thing. They, they In you know jailhouse conversion, they can give their heart to God and be free. Doesn't mean that suddenly they receive Jesus and their, their, you know, their sins are wiped away, but their sentences are not necessarily wiped away. Now, occasionally, their sentences get dealt with and we praise the Lord. It's always a place to praise the Lord when God's mercy is shown and what we should have received negatively, we are no longer bound to. That's an opportunity for praise and we say yes and amen, but we also realize that Actions have consequences. Faithfulness eventually wins. When we encounter obstacles that seem too large for us, we must remind ourselves that faithfulness, sticking with the substance of things hoped for, will eventually prevail. Why? Because God prevails. Look at 2 Timothy 2, 11-13. This is a trustworthy saying. If we die with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will deny us. If we are unfaithful, He remains faithful. For He cannot deny who He is. Faithfulness and God will always always prevail. It says so in the book. He cannot alter Himself. God wins in the end. This kind of begins to crack open where we are with understanding God's objective will, what he will accomplish, and his permitted will, what he allows for us to do, even in our stupidity and silliness and our our short-sightedness, much like the Israelites. Now, I, I realize none of this may apply to any of you in this room. Because your will and God's will But I know for myself, I have battled this. I have had conflict with God because he's just not on my my game plan. But that's not the point. I should be on his game plan. In 1 Corinthians 6.12, he says, everything is permissible for you, you say, but not all things are beneficial. This touches on this concept. In this passage, Paul's talking about food and other stuff, but basically he's saying, yeah, you're capable of doing these things, but it won't necessarily go well for you. He's challenging the Corinthians on their liberty that it not be license. God's plan is in motion. The key question, are you moving with him? God does not suffer from attention deficit disorder. He's not distracted from his intimate work for his ultimate work. He's not absent without leave. We may not always see what he's doing or, where he, or how he's doing it, but the scripture is clear. Know this, if you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. I love that. That's not a line in a song, but uh, it's a great, great term. The gift of free will allows us to join in God's work, but it also gives us the ability to step away. We need to be very, very careful. Focus on God and glance at the problems, or, the, or those things will want to crowd out what God wants for you. So here's the question Where are you? Where are you? Are you at the place where you're risking a wilderness? Maybe you're in the midst of the wilderness. Or maybe you're remembering your wilderness. It's a place that God brought you through. Possibly you never had a wilderness experience. If that's the case, then be on the lookout. Because God's people didn't anticipate being waylaid from their path either. Moses, speaking in Deuteronomy 8 verse 2, says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what is in your heart whether or not you would keep his commands. The Lord will lead you even through difficult places. The Lord will allow consequences that can serve to humble. The Lord will test you in order to know what is in your heart. Now not that, not that he needs to he doesn't know what's in your heart but really that he would know so that you would know. It's really not about him knowing, it's really about these things revealing what you what you know about him to yourself. So check your will. Have a different spirit than the world. Have a different spirit than maybe your unbelieving friends or coworkers or even family members. Have a different spirit. Encourage yourself and others. Encourage, by the way, encourage means to give courage. Give courage to others. This is one of those areas, by the way, you can fake it until you make it. You know, sometimes just throw it out there and say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak courage. I'm going to speak life. I'm going to speak truth. I'm not I'm sure I have all the pieces together, but I'm just going to speak it. And remember God's faithfulness, his word, and accomplish his work in you. Now, this is epic. Let me close this with this, the back part of the story. What happened to the major players? Joshua succeeded Moses as leader of Israel. You find that in Deuteronomy 31. Caleb Caleb, had, it, this is a cool scenario, real quick. Joshua 14, 6 through 14. I'll read fast, we're almost done. The promised, land, the, prom, the, the promised land is divided. They eventually get there 40 years later. Now the, verse six. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kazanite. Kenazite said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea about you and me? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God Wholeheartedly. Hallelujah, Caleb. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Verse 10. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong as the day Moses sent me out, just as vigorous to go out in battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord... I'm sorry, I can't read it without that attitude. Now give me this hill that God promised me. You heard, yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. That's the kind of attitude that we need to have. And remember, oh, I'm getting fired up. (laughs) Then Joshua said, bless Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and give him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb. Caleb took his guys and said, that's mine. Let's go. Never mind the fact that I qualify for AARP. <laughs> I'm on my way. And he took it, and he conquered that. That's epic. What's even more epic? Deuteronomy 29.5. Yet the Lord says, during the 40 years that I led you through the wilderness, your clothes did not wear out nor did the sandals on your feet. Miracle. Like, I can't find stuff that lasts like more than a few months around here. And, you know, they've got leather and stuff that they're trekking around in the wilderness. That's epic. Even in protracted consequences, God still walks with us and works in us to provide and even work miracles. Last verse, and this is a kind of a closing prayer. Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. Now may the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought... Would you all stand? Can I get the worship team to come up? Is this up there? Let's let's read this together. Now, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep equip you with everything good for doing His will. And may He work in us what is pleasing to Him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. May He give us everything we need for His will.